Hello, Jeff, and all you friends out there. Welcome once again to This Changes Everything, your favorite, my favorite, everybody's favorite therapy-themed podcast. How you doing, Jeff? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing well. The weather's changing. It's getting snowy out here, so it's like, as they say, cuffing season. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm already cuffed, so whatever. <laughs> but it's more fun to enjoy. I love cuffing season, although it's something to kind of be aware of. Like, we have to kind of understand the effect of cuffing season on us and that maybe we'll be, like, even more open to cuff ourselves to somebody in order to kind of, like, get through the cold weather. And that's okay, but also, is it okay? (laughs) Uh, Cuffing season sounds kinkier than it actually is. It does. First and foremost, I want to put it out there. It's really more about it should be called like cuddle season. Mm, I guess cuffing, be. like you're you're like securing the relationship. I have seen a few things out there that talk about anti cuffing season. Oh, what's that about? Where people are like pushing back on this and they're like, Why would I want to be in a relationship during mm. the time of year where uh there's the most expectations? On a relationship. Oh, my God. And expectations are the, the, I don't know, neighbor of disappointment. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of opportunity to be let down and disappointed by your partner during the holiday season. Mine has already announced to me that he's a terrible gift giver. I don't think that that's fair to set me up for disappointment (laughs) already. Maybe Maybe it's like he's trying to do like some... I don't know, mind game here, so I'm going to be satisfied no matter what. Don't count on that. Believe him. Believe what he says. Yeah. Yeah. Don't try to think that he's like playing a game. But maybe, maybe, I know you're listening, Eli. Um, (laughs) Maybe you two should open up the relationship just for cuffing season so that Sarah can get like a really amazing gift giving partner. Think about it. Oh my gosh, look at that. That's it. There you go. You go get what you want and I'll get somebody who just wants to shower me with gifts. Yeah. Really speak my love language. Oh my god, am I blushing? <laughs> <laughs> or you'd be like, wait, what? Yeah. Or just get her a really an amazing gift. Like step it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm easy to shop for. Like I don't mm. I mean it's just like is it outdoorsy? Great. Get that. I mean, like, I have like a thousand hobbies, mm. but yeah. are you easy to shop for? No, I am notoriously so hard to shop for because if I want something, I get it right now. So yeah. I don't give anybody the opportunity to actually buy me something because I'm constantly buying things myself. Um, so it forces people to be like very creative and think outside the box and think about like the things that I want to buy, but I'm just like, ugh, that just feels like too ridiculous. Um, so there's sort of like things that are sort of like right on the edge of what I want. What's the best gift anybody gave you? You know, I was just asked this and, (laughs) um, the best gift was from my wife when we were married. Um, I love playing video games. I love Nintendo. I play Mario, all the Mario games. And one Christmas I opened up and I, I woke up and opened up my gift and it was a PlayStation 4. And it was one of those gifts where I was just like, I can't justify a new video game system. And also PlayStation 4s were very expensive. Oh, yes. I remember this. 
Yeah, it was like, how much does your partner love you? Will they buy you a PlayStation yes, 4? Yes, it was like four or $500. It was a ridiculous amount of money. And Kate knew that if she bought me a PlayStation, I would spend more time in front of the TV, which would make it so that she couldn't spend as much time in front of the TV that she wanted. So this felt like a really big sacrifice. Like, oh. she knew that I wanted it, but I couldn't justify it. She knew that it would, like, take time out of our relationship um, and she knew that I'd be like really super excited about it. So I thought that was like kind of, it's a very selfless gift. It was very selfless. And if you're going to get me anything, anything like technology related is usually the way to go. Okay. So, Tech- or like a, I would say like a flannel or a banty, but I feel like you have all of those already. Well, that's the thing is that like, that's a really easy way to go. It's just like, yeah. go to Etsy and look up some like nineties alternative banties and just get me five. Oh You're good to go. There you go. Yeah. What about you? But- what was the best gift that you ever got? You know, I'm going to go rollerblades the first time and the second time when I received them at 13 years old or 10 or however old I was. And then again, when I got them from uh, an ex-boyfriend, well, he he was a boyfriend at the time, but when he gave me rollerblades, I was Mm. like, these are just as cool as I remember. (laughs) That's awesome. I bet you, I bet you're a really good rollerblader. You know, in my head, I think I am. (laughs) And I can do a bunch of cool stuff. The thing is, what what has grown as I age is the fear of falling. Not so much for hurting myself, but for the hospital bills that come with it. I'm like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to have to meet my deductible again. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ugh. So, yeah. Yeah. I am get- very – I'm more cautious. But you know what? I should have – there should have been some knee pads and elbow pads that came with that. And then it would have really sealed the deal as the best gift ever. But yeah, rollerblades first and second time. I'll go for that. <laughs> you know who's really – who are typically like pretty good gift givers are people who are anxiously attached. This is true. And I have definitely been a good gift giver because of some anxious attachments because I'm like I want – I know maybe if I get the perfect gift, mm. they'll never leave me. Mm-hmm. Mm. Is this what we're talking about, Jeff? That's what we're talking about today. We're going to continue the conversation about attachment styles. You learned all about them in the last episode. We're going to talk about what to do and how to cope with or how to manage relationships with like when different attachment styles pair up with each other. Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit more about maybe trauma bonds and how to use the relationship to heal your attachment style. We'll see what we can get to. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So we left off talking about, we wrapped up attachment styles and now we're looking at how these, mm, like what do these attachment styles look like in relationships? Are there certain types of people or attachment styles that are more likely to pair up and find each other? There is. And I think the classic one is like the anxious attachment style pairs up with the avoidant attachment style. But let's keep that one for like last. Let's first talk about what happens when an anxious person pairs up with another anxious person. Um, fireworks, Sarah. Ooh. Fireworks. Okay. This is like you're hot and heavy. Yeah. Like a things lot of are really exciting. A lot of times things are really exciting. I think sometimes they sort of like inadvertently love bomb each other. Um, okay. with like lots of like, cause a lot of time if you're, if you're, if you're more of an anxious attached cutie, then you're sort of like wanting to get a lot of uh, reassurance and validation that you're going to be together and it's a strong relationship and what does the future look like and yada, yada. And if both 
anxious people are giving that to each other. There's like so much future casting. You know what I mean? And that makes things, that puts a lot of pressure on the relationship Mm -hmm. and really creates some expectations, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So many expectations and it, and it sort of like feeds on itself. You know, you like just can't stop talking about the future because it feels so good and you feel so secure and you're like so excited that you like found this person that speaks your language, speaks your attachment style. So you feel seen, you feel validated, you feel excited, you feel like they're going to really get you. And there's so like the honeymoon period can be very honeymoony um, mm-hmm. and it can be like very high. Are these people who who define the relationship quickly maybe or jump mm-hmm. into... Um, like maybe pass through the stages of a relationship fast. Yes. Bring a U-Haul on the second date kind of thing. <laughs> those, those types of people. Yes. Uh, so they define that relationship quickly. They want to feel really secure as fast as they can. They move through the stages really fast. Um, and which also means that they could kind of like take a nosedive really quickly. You know, yeah. they kind of like put each other up on pedestals a lot. Um, and, and there's nobody that there's nobody to really kind of like keep you grounded. So there isn't a secure person that's just like, um, hold up. And there might not be an avoidant person who's just like really kind of like going the opposite way. So you go like rockets into the air (laughs) and sometimes you like forget about all the other aspects of your life because you're just like so obsessed with your person and willing to spend all the time together, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It can definitely kind of. I don't know, detach a couple from reality mm-hmm. and maybe make it seem a little more like not necessarily living in a fancy world, but I would imagine more day-to-day concrete routine things become harder to discuss. Mm-hmm. Maybe you haven't. And I would I would also imagine there's a lot of l- overlooking of red flags mm-hmm. maybe too, or like things that are problems. Mm-hmm. I know we'll just pretend like that's not an issue because I want to stay in this mm-hmm. Fancy yeah. of what I imagine the relationship to be. Yes. The classic, you have rose-tinted glasses on and red okay. flags just look like flags when you have the rose-tinted glasses on. So, and then, and there's also the possibility for like over-processing where you just like talk about everything and that can be kind of exhausting. Um, so something to think about is that try not to over-process everything. Not everything has to be talked about and you don't have to dive into everything. And And Sarah, you were talking to me before the podcast about how, like, what could happen if there is Mm over-processing that happens. What were you saying about that? Oh, I was saying that sometimes I was like, what did I say about that? (laughs) Um, That, you know, often when when we're talking about all of those um, emotional uh, parts of the relationship and we're really connecting, being intimate emotionally – it feels so good, but it also is, is kind of draining Mm -hmm. and the same way, like, and what can happen is we might not have a lot of energy left over for physical intimacy, Mm -hmm. or they can often replace one another. Like we, and people have felt this on the opposite side where physical intimacy, we're like, ah, we can't really connect emotionally and we, you know, don't know how to talk to each other. So, Mm -hmm. but we're really good in the sack. Like, Mm -hmm. let's just do the thing. And so sometimes they can, they can, uh, if you do too much of one or too much of the other, mm-hmm. it can, it can kind of be like create an imbalance there. Yes. So having a little bit of stuff that you kind of keep to yourself or maybe share as the relationship progresses, 
and kind of helps keep things balanced in those relationships. Exactly. Really trying to remember that you need to keep things balanced because sometimes that's hard to keep in mind when you're just like talking about everything. Another thing is that you need to deliberately create space. You know, Mm. like you don't have a secure or an avoidant person kind of like pulling you in the other direction. So you're going to want to do all the things together. Make sure that you're like spending time apart, that you're working on your creative projects, that you're hanging out with your family, your community. Because if you don't, everyone's going to get like frustrated or sad or they're going to miss you. And all of your dependence is, is going to sort of like funnel into just the relationship. Uh, eventually, one of you might just sort of like snap with like, oh, my God, I can't handle this shit anymore. Um, yeah, so. grow resentful because in a yes. way, it's kind of like self-abandoning. Mm-hmm. When If you are, you know, I was just saying this to my boyfriend the other day. I said one of the fears that I have, we talk about, you know, our fears and relationships, things like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was saying, you know, one of the things that, that I have... Mm, kind of like on my radar that I've done in the past is I get caught up in the identity of whoever I'm with. Mm. You know, I tend to be with people who are big personalities and I lose myself. It'll be like, and I'm, I travel a lot or move around a lot. My family's not close or wasn't close in the past. So I would just adopt whatever family, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the family of the person I was dating. And, uh, I felt and in the beginning, it's so fun. It feels so good. It feels so secure. It feels like what you've always wanted. Oh, I, this is the kind of connection of somebody who I'm going to like spend all my time with. Oh, that's so wonderful. But then when it turned into me, I don't know, recognizing that I was giving up my own time or, or there was no time for myself, I didn't even notice it right away. It's, it's almost like... Um, I don't know, like just small little doses of, of poison, a little bit at a time, and then they just build up in your system. And the next thing you know, I'm like, ugh, I'm toxic over here. Mm-hmm. And I've lost myself in the relationship. And then I grow really resentful because every time you self-abandon, you're, you're mm-hmm. really just abandoning yourself. And that creates anger towards yourself and frustration. So Totally. And if you're both doing it, then you might not even notice it (laughs) until it's too late. Trying to kind of do the things for the relationship. This is where I say like sometimes it sounds so counterintuitive, but selfishness Mm. is really selflessness. Mm -hmm. That the, the, when we are, are selfish with care for ourselves and our own time. And like, you know, we look at that as such a bad word. Like, Mm -hmm. Oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be – I shouldn't prioritize myself. You are the exact person you should prioritize <laughs> above everybody else. Mm-hmm. This yeah. sounds backwards, but yeah. it's always like the, the you know airplane mask drops down. you got to put it on yourself first before you put it on the kids. Be a little bit selfish with your time. And that could even be like the gift-giving thing. Of like, mm. no, I don't have to overextend myself. I don't have to – you know, uh, do more for this person than I would even do for myself just to secure the, my spot in the relationship or hold on to them. Ugh, yeah. I agree. It's, it's exhausting. Yeah, for sure. So one last tip for anxious, anxious, um, attachment styles, uh, try to have other people that can ground you if your partner can't. 
So if you two or if you all are just sort of like wrapped up and spinning in your anxiety and you can't go to each other to like feel centered and anchored, then you should have other people outside of the relationship that can ground you. So friends or family members or something like that. Yeah. How can you even recognize that you're in that place to reach out? And that's hard to do. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of times you can't recognize it until you've like tried to feel grounded and try to kind of like reach out to your person like two or three or four times. And it's just like not working. You're both triggering each other, activating each other. Um, so it's sort of like, and it's also kind of like this gut feeling of like, oh, like this is not, this doesn't feel quote unquote, like a safe person to ground into right now. Not mm-hmm. safe, like you're going to get hurt, but just sort of like a lot of times you want to feel like when you go to therapy and you talk to your therapist, your therapist is a very grounded, anchored source. You can just sort of like rooted in reality. What's really going on? Right. Yeah. And if you're both not very rooted in reality, you might just continue to trigger each other over and over and over again. So have other people that you can go to, have a therapist that you can talk to regularly. Yeah. What Mm. is the uh, end of a relationship look like? Like how does the, you know, two people who Mm -hmm. are together like this and, you know, we talk about the honeymoon stage, like a lot of fireworks, but Mm -hmm. maybe like a bright candle burns quickly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I... Personally, I see these people stay together for a very long time, Um, not because it's a healthy match, maybe because it's healthy, but like it's hard to break up. It's hard to leave the person. They just maybe like don't have the strength or they they feel too anxious about it. Um, So sometimes when these relationships end, it's just sort of like you're both or one of you is so overwhelmed that you just can't fucking take it anymore. Um, but there's a lot of guilt. I feel like with like anxious attachment folks, it's just like, if I break up with them and I feel really guilty or what is my life going to look like afterwards? It's hard to imagine that. So there's a lot of like stress. A lot of intense feelings. It feels like in this one Mm -hmm. versus maybe cut off from the feelings that we get. Right. Yeah, exactly. Other attached folks. Yes. So let's get to those folks. But first, before we do. Talking about anxiety and stress, we should talk about our favorite uh, stress CBD complex from Nextevo Naturals. <laughs> our favorite go-to. I was just on an airplane ride, and we had to get up at 3.30 in the morning for this flight, which and it was daylight saving, so it was really 2.30 in the morning. Mm-hmm. It was terrible. And uh, so, yeah, I needed some sleep real bad, and I sleep terribly on airplanes Mm. so lucky for me i have my cbd gummies which uh i can actually take on the plane because there are a lot of other things i like to enjoy (laughs) that are not uh federally approved and i cannot take on the airplane not a problem with my cbd gummies to help for my sleep Mm -hmm. yeah uh like i said it's usually it works best for my sleep too it i've been just like a little bit more stressed out these days Um, so if I want to kind of like pop one in the morning or pop one in the afternoon, that always takes the edge off. So I highly recommend it. And if you want to go, if you want to get to the root of stress with the CBD complex from Nextevo Naturals, you can get 25% off your subscription of orders over $50 or more by using the promo code changes at nextevo.com. That's N-E-X-T-E-V-O.com promo code changes. Yeah, just put them in the stockings of everybody who stresses you out, too. They probably just need to take the edge off as well. 
perfect stocking stuffer. It is. And it's helpful to get through the holiday season if you're feeling a little stressy about it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, let's talk about the avoidant attachment style pairing up with another avoidant attachment style. <laughs> the, how do they even get in a relationship? How did they Where find does it each even other? start? How do they find each other? <laughs> um, I love the avoidant. They're very, they're like, they're usually real hot babes. They're fun to be around. However, <laughs> they are. If you're someone, if you're with someone who's like more anxious, then they're sort of like acting like you know the glue for the relationship. So with an avoidant and an avoidant, there's there isn't like a lot of glue that keeps them together. They can just sort of float away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny you say they're real attractive babes. Like w- the hottest person, like one of my hottest friends, is totally avoidant. <laughs> so hot, smoking. There's something about those avoidant yeah. hotties. I don't know what it yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they really turn me on, and they turn a lot of people on. Um, but because <laughs> it's like aloof, they're like, oh, it's like I can't have that too. They're, you know? I think it's partly that too, is that they like they're real chill. They play it like real cool. They're so chill, so fucking chill. They're like, you can call me or not. I don't care. Yeah, my life what? is fine with or without you. Yeah. It's like, okay, well then I fucking need you now. Like, what am I going <laughs> to do to make this work? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, but when the avoidance get together, a lot of times there's like a, it's like a breath of fresh air of like, oh, thank fucking God. Right. Cause like, they have their own space. You have your own space. I'm not going to let oh. you down. I'm not going to feel like a failure, you know, cause like you get me, like I'm going to like just sort of meet your needs as best I can. And you're going to do that for me as well. And then we're going to kind of like do our own thing. So maybe we don't have to see each other every single fucking day. And just like hang out, I don't know, once a week, okay. whenever, whatever works, yeah. you know. I keep hearing about uh, very successful relationships where two people don't cohabitate, where they are married and live in two separate houses or married and live on different sites, wherever. <sighs> There's a very yeah. specific term for that. What is it called? Like living or being together separately. Oh, God. Oh, We're gonna well, get, that sounds yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> like in relationship not together i don't know but it it is it is a trend and i think that that works really well for avoidance because they can like have their space do their thing and also when they come together and they do spend time together then it just feels a little bit more special you know you're not living together seeing each other all the fucking time and so now you now you kind of like are creating these moments that feel like um just like a little more sparkly or magical because you haven't seen each other for a few days uh, it's important to kind of redefine what is like quote unquote normal. There's no normal. Who cares? Right. Uh, for like what works with different mm, types of relationships, different styles of people and mm-hmm. different needs. I but yeah. So one thing that you need to think about though, if two avoidance are coming together is like, oh, this is so nice. We get each other. But like I said, there's no glue. So somebody has to kind of like be in charge <laughs> and be uh-huh. the glue sometimes or you trade that off. Or something like you have to one of you has to really keep an eye on like how connected you feel. Both of you, hopefully, will keep an eye on how connected you feel. And so you have to prioritize quality time and maybe even like schedule check ins because you're not like that. You're not like naturally checking in as much as like an anxious or a secure person. So you have to kind of like mark on the calendar. And this is I get some pushback on this and I understand why. But I'm going to throw it out there, and we'll talk about the pushback that I get. Okay. It's also okay to schedule sex. 
So I totally agree with that as well. You're on board with that, Sarah? I'm on board with this. Yeah. I think like things that are important in my life, I schedule. Yes. Having sex with my partner is important. And so it might go up on that schedule in order yes. to make sure that we prioritize it and do it because two avoidance might not sort of like naturally do it as much as like two anxious people or secure people. So go ahead and schedule that sex. However, Sarah, the like pushback I get, which is yes. very fair, is that, and I, I've, I've experienced this when I've done it before, that like when you put sex, like sex Wednesday night, it's circled on the calendar. All of a sudden it starts to feel like yes. there's obligation. All of a sudden it feels like I'm going to have to do it even if I don't want to do it. Um, and, and you can't say no, because if you don't do it on Wednesday, you're not going to do it until next Wednesday or something like that. So then it starts to get into like a weird consent sort of thing of like, I agreed to Wednesday nights, but I don't actually want to do it. And you're not enthusiastically consenting to it. And even if you're in relationship, consent is still a thing and enthusiastic consent is like the thing, right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I'm totally with you. I think our problem is the definition of sex. I think mm. that we need to redefine the terms. I think we need to maybe change that instead of scheduling sex, scheduling intimacy, mm -hmm. scheduling connection. Because in the same way, uh, you know, there are times where I'm like really tired and I maybe wouldn't, I don't want, like if I were to like uh, select what I do in the next hour listening to what happened in my boyfriend's day would not be first on the list. <laughs> Reading a book, listening to music, watching TV, to something like that, something alone mm -hmm. would be. But because I care about the relationship, because I uh, that's part of a relationship is kind of making sacrifices, not ones that put us in uncomfortable situations, but ones that maybe put the other person's needs in that moment ahead of ours, given it's something we're comfortable with. And I go, okay, I'm going to ask my dad, I'm going to listen. I'm, Eli, if you're listening, I love hearing about your day. Do not stop talking. This is just for an example for the show. Uh, everything's fine. Uh, so I think if you, if you schedule that as like time to connect intimately, that there are things that you can do, you know, and anybody with a child knows that there are times mm. where you have to do things for your kid where you're like, I don't want to do that, but I'm going to do it because it helps this bond and this relationship and helps the other person in it. Let them know that I love them and I'm here for them. So if that time together is, you know, we just like we talked about in our sex episodes, you love prescribing some time together where nobody's allowed to have sex, no <laughs> touching of any <laughs> special parts, anything like that. And, uh, you know, you guys always fail, so which right. is really a win. Yeah. So it, it could be like that. I think the pressure mm. needs to be taken off mm. of the situation and it instead be des designated time in the week or on the schedule to be together without any distractions. Mm. Whatever you want to do. If you want to play a rousing game of fucking tic-tac-toe or thumb war, <laughs> I don't care. Do it. And maybe it'll turn into a roll in the hay. <laughs> Yeah, exactly what Sarah said, 100%. I think we need to redefine the definition of sex. Interestingly, my first kiss happened during a thumb war. Oh, my God! <laughs> that is... 
I don't know. I feel like that was some sort of psychic like <laughs> download I got where I like felt like, I don't know, what would be playful and what would start sex? Uh-huh. Maybe a thumb war. And you actually have a personal story about that. Yeah. Please tell me how a thumb war turned into your first kiss. <laughs> well, I was um, – this was way back during America Online where you'd like oh. go into chat rooms – like oh, age, yes. sex, location check to like see, and there was like this girl Emily. I was fifteen, I think. There was fourteen or fifteen. And there was this girl Emily who like lived blocks away in this AOL chat room, which like never happens. Yeah, I'm like an actual girl, an actual Actually, real girl, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> real girl. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was shocked. She lived like six blocks away. I found out, and so we we're like, let's meet in the middle, and so we like met. Like, taking a walk, and then we started to just, like, take walks together after school. She went to my school. I had no fucking idea. What? Yeah. And then one day, like, we took so many walks, and she had such a big crush on me, and I had a crush on her, too, but I was, like, so scared to do anything. She finally invited me into her house, and she's like, let's let's hang out on my couch. So we're sitting on her couch, and I'm just, like, trying to, like, get close, but I'm too anxious. And she's like, just get over here. And I was like, Ugh, okay. And she was like, let's just play a thumb war. She's smooth. She's very smooth. Emily. So she's like, we're playing this thumb war and I'm like legit trying to beat her in the thumb war, but she's just (sighs) trying to pull me closer. She just like needed an excuse to grab my hand and pull me close to her body. And so I finally like beat her in the thumb war and I look up and then she comes in and she kisses me. So you won twice. I won twice. Yeah. I kicked that is a great story. Yeah. And I got that kiss. I love it. Mm-hmm. It's very oh, sweet. a little nervous, Jeff. You were more concerned. That is a hard age for boys. Where <laughs> their girls definitely are like, I know what I'm doing. Let's just do this. Can we cut the crap here? Move in for the kiss, buddy. <laughs> and uh, you guys were like, oh, I want to play Thumb War. <laughs> <laughs> so oblivious. So oh, oblivious. that was really um, cute. Anyways. Okay, yes. So, back to avoid and avoidance. I want everybody to write us in with their first kiss story yeah. because I feel like a lot of them probably uh, are similar yeah. in that way. Yeah, we want to yes. hear the cute ones. Um, last tip for to avoidance getting together, which I guess is like the same for the anxious people, is go see a therapist and try to see a therapist regularly or maybe like at least once a month or something because then you have to kind of like – you have this forced – check in emotionally to talk about like your needs and your wants and what you're getting and yada yada so it kind of like forces you like the therapist or the therapy sessions can be the glue if you two are having a hard time doing that yourself yeah i like this or i feel like uh anxiously attached people or avoidant people um you know Sometimes people who don't want to be in relationships will often find relationships that are in nature uh, inconvenient or unhealthy or like they'll, Mm. you know, be in a relationship with somebody who is in a relationship and they're like the other person Mm -hmm. or it'll be, oh, I only I find myself in long distance relationships or something that kind of serves a function to maintain that avoidant Mm -hmm behavior mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah they they kind of and, and it's funny because a lot of times they they say they don't want to they say they want to be closer and and they actually do a big part of them wants yeah. to have like a really close intimate secure 
uh, relationship, but there's a lot of fear and insecurity and the way that they kind of like cope with that is like through avoidance. So they're more likely to fall for somebody that's unavailable, whether Mm -hmm. it's somebody who's also in a relationship or somebody who's long distance or something that's getting in the way. Right. So if you are one of those people who feels like, oh my gosh, I'm always in the same kind of relationship or I always fall for the same kind of person or Mm -hmm. man, how come everybody that I am attracted to is with somebody else? Mm-hmm. Maybe ask yourself what function yeah. that behavior serves. Exactly. And could there be some attachment stuff going on that's attracting you to those kind of familiar relationships? Yeah. You're the common denominator in all of these things. Yeah. So let's take a look at that. But um, for the breakups, a lot of times it's fantastic. You just float away. Don't even notice it. Yeah. You're not in a relationship and you had no idea. No, it's fine. Like, <laughs> You just sort of like, you're both sort of like decide not to participate in it. You don't even inform each other. Ultimate ghosting. Uh Or like that meme of Homer Homer, Simpson just like fading into the the bushes. One of the most lovely breakups you can ever experience are two avoidance, just sort of like slowly detaching from each other. Um, so there's that, but yeah, now, cause there's not even any stuff to get because you guys yeah. haven't moved into each other's houses or brought any of your shit over. Exactly. You fucking weirdos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not yeah. a weirdo. You're lovely and you're hot babes. And we all wish that we were you. Super hot babes. Yeah, yeah. We all wish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Then there is the anxious attachment that, um, connects with the avoidant attachment. And this is the kind yeah. of shit that I see all the fucking time and it's it just it so perfectly feeds each other's narratives right so like the anxious person is feeling like i'm too much i'm too much i'm too needy i'm too emotional Ugh, i like ask for so much in this relationship and the avoidant is just like i'm always letting everybody down i'm never meeting anybody's needs i'm constantly like not showing up enough that's the message that i get so that when the two narratives come together it just reinforces the narrative the avoidant Absolutely. inevitably fails. The anxious inevitably asks for too much. And then they leave the relationship proving how like dysfunctional they feel. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's something about like the, the psyche like sort of like wants to be right instead of connected sometimes. Or it's just like, see. 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of like We proving. seek out relationships that confirm yes. our beliefs about ourselves. Exactly. And then you go to your friends and you complain about all the unavailable people or all the anxiously attached people and you and you do all the like the the bitching and whining and then you go find that same person you complain again and it just goes over and over and over again Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. so um think about that (laughs) like (laughs) that like if you're yeah i see these two getting together and this is exactly uh i I don't want to call them immature relationships because Mm -hmm. it that kind of, I don't know, implies that it's a younger one, but I mean more emotionally immature. Mm-hmm. When maybe there isn't a lot of self-awareness there, maybe you're just repeating the same kind of patterns over and over and over. And if there isn't the self-awareness, then we, you, you know, you can't recognize these attachment styles and what you're kind of bringing to the table right. to begin with. And how much of that other person's behavior is sort of triggering what you're doing. Oh my God. And there's this yeah. saying I love it's the the misery of uh what is it? The f- familiar or the comfort of 
Mm. Misery is more comfortable than no the certainty of misery is more comfortable than the misery of uncertainty that's, that's right. it i'm like there are a few words i'm missing <laughs> yes the certainty of misery more comfortable than the misery of uncertainty so we're not even going to try like a new relationship with somebody who might be healthy because what we are familiar with are those patterns that we saw growing up or those patterns that we've repeated in relationships mm-hmm. and uh yeah it's yeah. really hard to change those if you don't kind of take a step back mm-hmm. and Look at what you're bringing to the table. Yes. Look at what you're bringing to the table and be really conscious of the sort of like feedback loop that you two create and try to look at it that way. So instead of being like, you're such a fucking turd for being an avoidant or you're so overwhelming because you're anxious, you're instead going to be like, oh, we're activated. (laughs) Like right now we're going into our scripts of anxious and avoidant and something happened in this relationship just now that are that's like triggering us and making us really upset and it's creating this feedback loop of like you're not enough or I'm too much and if that's what's going on then you have to like think about how to navigate that and that might be getting really vulnerable and being really honest it might be taking space it might be like giving validation or reassurance whatever it is it's disrupting the feedback loop instead of like getting into the same fight over and over and over again, you're kind of you're disrupting it and trying to be like really sweet or loving or problem solvy or wise mind or whatever the hell you're trying to do. And if you something. can, yeah, something, something needs to change. Something you both need to be aware of what's going on, and then you kind of like need to problem solve and ask for your needs to be met and figure that out. Um, and and I want you to kind of like you know like Sarah's saying you can sometimes like fall into these relationships that are just sort of like re-traumatizing and re-triggering because you like experience over and over again. If you can look at this relationship as more of a healing relationship, then mm. then you can like have just like sometimes that shift that like mental shift instead of like here we go again I fucking hate this person you can be like. Okay, there's something here to learn. What am I supposed to learn? There's an opportunity for growth there. Exactly. And it's such an annoying therapist thing to say, what's the opportunity for growth? But like, you got to fucking think that way. Like, if you're going to make this relationship work, you have to figure out how you can grow. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, there's a, there's a great worksheet that I've done with couples that kind of breaks down Mm -hmm. what the cycle is and Mm -hmm. what the patterns are, you know? When this happens, what is it that you're thinking, mm-hmm. okay? And how is it that wh- when you think this way, how do you act, okay? And how do you interpret those actions? And when you really break it down step by step and you can see the patterns, mm-hmm. you can mm, change one of those. You know, I think about it as a formula. You know, if you know what the outcome is, you know it's like nerdy. I like turn something emotional into math <laughs> and, but probably the root of everything. So, uh, if you look at like the outcome, this is like the, the, the outcome of the equation. We're angry at each other. We don't talk for a few days. There is a formula that equals that outcome mm-hmm. and it's always the same. Mm-hmm. One, you have to think about it as those annoying algebraic formulas mm-hmm. with all the numbers and letters and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so if we take your, uh, you know, attachment injuries and your like attachment styles. And we add a situation that looks like, makes you feel like you're abandoned and this kind of response, then what we're going to get is this. So what you have to do is go in and change something about the equation. We don't, we'll, we'll 
all we're looking for is a different outcome. Mm -hmm. It might be one we like. It might be we have to like go in and and tweak something some more and to get the exact number, exact outcome we want. Mm -hmm. But let's change up something in the system. I can't remember what the name of the therapeutic style, but I remember in grad school, Mm -hmm. we studied this style of therapy that there was an Italian, it's like famous in Italy. And they would do – one of the hallmarks of this style of, of therapy was disturbing the system. Mm. And they would do things that were crazy like, okay, that's it. We're going to put all of our clothes on inside out. Right. Or we're going we're gonna to have this fight, but we're going to do it in the bathtub <laughs> with our clothes on soaking wet. Let's do it. And just – changing just like perturbing the system and disrupting things or like okay we're gonna do this but everybody's gonna do it you know standing on the kitchen table and it's so italian it's hilarious <laughs> like they you know and i can say that because my mom like lived in italy for 12 years and we like spent a lot of time there and so it's like they they overdo everything over design everything so this is like so italian class but do you know what therapy style that is or i'm talking about i don't but i love it I th- i'm going to oh, use name? it Milan? now oh I can't remember, but yeah, it's great. Some Italian who's, who's, but yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of evidence that shows that when you just do something different, mm-hmm. mix it up, think about it in a different way, change those patterns, mm-hmm. you can change the outcome. And that's exactly it. And you need to think about how you're going to change the problem, like how you're going to kind of like make create like new variables and add new things when you're not triggered, like totally (laughs) right. Yes. Yes. So like you're feeling good, you're having dinner, you're out, you're feeling connected. And then you're like, okay, sometimes we get into these feedback loops and we can't math out our shit. What do we need to add? Like, let's just sort of like think of ways to navigate these things the next time it happens. So we're not trying to bring up the fight again. You're just kind of like being scientists together, like thinking about like different things, being curious of what you can add in order to change the outcome, right? I love that. I love that because it also takes a lot of the, um, I don't know, not pressure, but intensity or, or, you know, sometimes we really fear arguments with our partners. We're so worried about falling Mm, back into mm -hmm. those patterns and nobody wants to do that. It's exhausting. It's, oh, it doesn't feel good, but smooth seas never made a skilled sailor. So we kind of need the storm in order to Mm -hmm. hone our skills. Mm -hmm. And what we're doing is we're kind of planning and prepping for the storm and saying like, okay, we're going to batten down the hatches. Here's what we're going to do. Here's a life raft. Here's how we're going to handle it. Mm -hmm. Here's your role. Here's my role, which is totally different than being caught off guard in Mm -hmm. the middle of a storm. And so when you can plan in that way or talk about those patterns I think it doesn't make people as nervous or as as um, fearful when a fight does come up because mm-hmm. I look at it as another opportunity or a new opportunity to respond in a different way or learn more, or get more data. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one hundred percent. So a failure to plan is a plan to fail, right? Like, oh, <laughs> yes. I we like need to this. think of plans. Think of it when you're in your wise mind. If you're trying to think about it when the storm is hitting you, you're in survival mode, you're not going to be able to do it, right? Totally. Um, but a lot of times with like the anxious and the avoidant, like you were saying, Sarah, there's like, there's these old traumas, family stuff that has like gone on. And because of that, there can be a trauma bond that's created. And I think that like the term trauma bond is kind of like thrown around and talked about a lot. So let's talk a little bit more about trauma bonds. 
Um, yes. Yeah. Can you talk about it, Sarah? I feel like I personally am an expert in this since mm-hmm. I have experienced this mm-hmm. so much. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a I have experienced a lot of trauma growing up. It was in my family, and for a long time, uh, I didn't feel very validated in that experience. So what trauma bonding uh, or what those relationships when two people who have a trauma history and bond over that or connect over that, what that can provide is some validation for that experience. You know, I was, um, and I shared this on the real world and I openly share on here. I am somebody who survived uh, sexual assault in my family growing up and I had been sexually assaulted in other scenarios and situations as a child as well. And especially, I mean, with many forms of abuse, but especially with sexual abuse, there is this feeling, especially by the perpetrator, that it's not true, didn't happen, you're not believed. You know, there are a bunch of people who said, well, these things didn't happen when you know they did. And that can create this feeling of, like, nobody believes me. Mm -hmm. I'm all alone in this. Mm -hmm. And makes relationships very dangerous or feel very dangerous and scary. So when you meet somebody who has had their own experience that maybe other people didn't understand or other people uh, didn't see as something that was a difficult thing to go through, it feels like, oh, God, this person finally gets it. It feels so validating and so reassuring. And you almost have this hope that this person is going to fix things. This person is going to save me. This person is going to heal those wounds from the past because they get it and they have theirs. And it feels so uh, different and exciting. And it can often lead to very chaotic, unpredictable roller coaster relationships because the thing that ties you together is an understanding of trauma, which is, yes, important for your partner to like Mm -hmm. recognize that and address those things. But that is not a foundation of a relationship. You know, if you ask somebody who in a healthy relationship, they've been together for years. Oh, what is the thing that you like best about your partner? I understand that or he understands that I had a hard childhood. Uh, you might need a little bit more than that in the relationship. <laughs> and it puts a lot of stress on the relationship mm. and a lot of pressure on the other person to be their source of happiness. And nobody can. So mm. there's a lot of judgment, a lot of um, uh, jealousy, a lot of um, – and even patterns that mirror – childhood trauma mirror those uh relationships or unhealthy Mm -hmm. relationships growing up Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah i think that's a really good explanation it's i and i understand why it's so like tantalizing and why you can be like Mm -hmm. so pulled into a relationship where you finally feel seen and understood like like no other time before like that just feels so good and loving you know Mm -hmm. um but like you're saying if the relationship is you know based on that and that's like the primary thing that's pulling you together then um it's going to be sort of like one dimensional it's going to feel and like you're saying there is you were saying that sometimes you get this like feeling or this hope that like the 
the person you're with is going to sort of heal you. Do you think that that's mm-hmm. happening consciously or is that happening happening unconsciously? Uh, maybe unconsciously. And I, it's the flip side is also true where I have the feeling that I can fix or save them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That I understand their trauma and nobody else does. And mm-hmm. I that person won't be okay without me because I'm the only one that – you know, sees them, you know, and in, in my past relationship, uh, it was like, oh, I've never told anybody else this. And you're the only person who knows this. And maybe it was something for a therapist to know, you know, there's, it's a, Mm. there's a difference between holding space for a person and seeing their trauma and acknowledging it and recognizing it. And then there's that, uh, feeling like, ooh, I'm going to fix that person or I'm mm-hmm. going to save them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the the dance that trauma-bonded mm-hmm. relationships can end up in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It feels like there's like, it's ripe for codependency. Like there's Totally. Just, right. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And it's kind of, it's kind of like when you, there's a part of you that feels like, oh, this person understands me and they're going to heal me, whether that's conscious or unconscious. But then in the end, they're the thing that's like kind of triggering you or re-traumatizing you in certain ways. Yeah. Right. And it, it doesn't really allow you to heal those sides if you're both keep, if you just both keep triggering each mm-hmm. other. Yeah. And that's putting that, that's so much responsibility on your person, on a relationship. Like we are all for healing relationships. But if it's like, if that's the main thing about the relationship is like healing this trauma, ugh, that's a lot of pressure and mm-hmm. it's probably going to break. And so you want to kind of like farm that out to a professional and talk to your therapist mm-hmm. about it. Um, mm, yeah, those trauma bonds are really thick. So what should you do if you, if you like notice that maybe you're like in a trauma bond relationship, what happens? Well, I... I think that the place where I noticed I can make the most change and mm-hmm. the, and and do things differently mm-hmm. was in the start of relationships. Mm-hmm. So, like I was saying last episode, how you know I will spill all my guts and tell them everything, and like this and this and this happened, almost too much share, like in hopes, like see all this and validate it. Mm-hmm. That is too much. It's mm-hmm. too. It's putting too much of the emotional burden on somebody else. There needs to be a, a foundation of, again, like, you know, we talked about in, uh, way back when that like love is uh, based on actions and time mm-hmm. spent with the person and trust. And, you know, can I be vulnerable with this person? Can I trust this person rather than just hormones and emotions? So once I established a relationship where there was love, mm-hmm. then I can start opening myself up and sharing these kind of safe things rather than use these, use my trauma, use these, um, uh, this like cracking my chest open and being ultra vulnerable mm-hmm. to get love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is so important and a really good point that I hope a lot of people are listening to. Uh, That like you sort of like feel this temptation to overshare everything very early on in a relationship. And maybe you don't have to overshare everything. Wait until you feel trust and security and love or, you know, like lots of um, the scaffolding or the, you know, is kind of like built out. And then you can start to kind of like slowly 
talk about some of these things. Yeah. Um, not saying that you should never share or that right. like this is important stuff, but if you're going to lead with that, um, you might be setting yourself up. And in the same way, you know, I, with love, I asked myself like, or, you know, and even with clients, we'll talk about like knowing whether we are responding to those hormones versus the idea of love and what that it, mm. it'll feel different internally. It'll be a different reaction. Mm-hmm. So, and, and sometimes physiologically feel different and when it is kind of secure and rooted in something that's real. And I, when I would be that ultra vulnerable to oversharing in seek in search of that validation afterwards, I would feel very raw. I would feel like the need to, like attached to that person, mm-hmm. I would feel really exhausted and tired. And so I, I use how I'm feeling to inform me of whether or not I am, this is too much or, you know, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So those are some like really good signs that maybe... Yeah. There was kind of like some trauma bonding going on instead of just like good, secure connection happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of listen to how you feel. Look at the physiological symptoms mm-hmm. and the physiological signs. What are your feelings afterwards? In a secure relationship, you should feel close to the person after mm-hmm. sharing those kind of things. Not worried that, oh, no, mm-hmm. this is going to make them run away mm-hmm. or now I have to do something to hold on to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Ah, Sarah, I always look forward to our talks. You're so easy to talk to. I you love are this. too. <laughs> Thank so you. So wonderful. Yeah. We covered a lot today. Lots of good stuff. We sure did. We talked about how these uh, attachment styles play out in relationships. Um, I do want to make sure before mm-hmm. we wrap things up mm-hmm. that we just mention a little bit about, or else it'll turn into a whole other episode, about how like there is hope and how secure relationships, there's securely attached people, mm-hmm. pair up well with all these people <laughs> and can really help yes. pull somebody out of, or, or, or make somebody a little more securely attached. Yeah. I think, you know, in these last couple episodes, sometimes I make fun of securely attached people being like incredibly boring. Um, and I stand by that joke, (laughs) but (laughs) the like nice part about like a quote unquote boring, securely attached person is that they're predictable. They're certain they, you can count on them. They feel grounded and anchored a lot of the time, not always a hundred percent of the time, but like they are typically that way. And so when you find somebody who's securely attached and who's not kind of like activating you and triggering you lean into that more like that feels really good although there's like something about that that feels scary of like oh my god this person's gonna show up for me consistently what the fuck you know about that sarah i do (laughs) i have a securely attached partner and just this morning i was definitely on edge like i wasn't i was i was defensive and he recognized i was probably being snippy and he said you know it feels like there you're there's a lot of defensiveness coming off you do we like do you need a hug and can we talk about this? And he really mm. said that. And I was like, yeah, I do need a hug. And what's the <laughs> truth is that I'm really jealous that you're going skiing today and I don't want to just be here and I have to work and you get to go skiing and it's not fair. 
And that was what I really needed to say and have my own little temper tantrum. And once I did, I was like, oh. And he's like, it's fine. It's you're, You know, we're going to go. Mm-hmm. And I, I just needed to say that. And I, in the past, I would have been defensive. I wouldn't have been mm-hmm. able to say that. My partner would have uh, not responded well to the defensiveness. They would have created a story about why I'm mad in my head. And then he would have come home in a whole different mood. It would have changed the whole trajectory of the weekend. Mm-hmm. But instead, my securely attached boyfriend was like, I recognize that you're triggered right now, but I don't know why. Let me gather some more information so we can nip this in the bud and move on. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Thank God for those normies. <laughs> uh, love him for you. And I, I, also, I, I feel better knowing that maybe, possibly, he does have one flaw and imperfection of like not being the best gift giver ever. Yes. Yes. This is correct. Yeah. Uh-huh. So he's human. Right? He's totally human. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Don't worry. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> um, so go ahead and like try to find your securely attached cutie and and don't be scared if it like all feels too good to be true. Just sort of like mm. lean into that. Um, so, there, so there's a lot of like healing that can happen if you find someone who's securely attached. There's also a lot of healing that can happen no matter like what attachment style you're in. As long as you're aware of your attachment style, how you two or how you all trigger each other Um, and kind of like doing that thing that me and Sarah were talking about where you're like going out for dinner and creating a plan of what to do and mathing out the situation or standing on the kitchen table or getting into the bathroom, whatever it is. Like (laughs) if you can be thoughtful about what's going on, collect all the data of like where it kind of like goes awry, then you can be like really purposeful in creating healing relationships. Love it. Mm-hmm. Well, this was so much fun, and we can't wait to talk to you next time on Miss James Everything. Bye.